or what's what's yours isn't called robo brew it's called something else right it's the bulldog brewer bulldog brewer i think yeah it's very similar to the robo brew that you can get here in the u.s i don't think we have bulldog in the u.s yeah yeah i think it's like a i think it's a polish brand or something okay yeah um, it looked nice it's, I was... it's cool when it's cool when you see like the equipment but they started to do yeast a while ago and i was just <laughs> like i'm probably not going to use that yeast i'll uh, i'll i'll spring for yeah yeah the uh, y yeast or something yeah so why yeast is distributed in uh in the uk yeah we have we have um y yeast um but we don't get much uh, like white labs and imperial and stuff like that okay, we don't right. have um those things um but I'll, I'll be honest uh, yeast doesn't seem to be very high on people's priority lists over here in my mm-hmm. experience anyway um it's definitely not um it's definitely not um emphasized as much as it seems to be from what i can gather in the american uh, circuit well, we uh, on our, our fourth episode, we interviewed two guys from from the UK. I think they're from Bedford. Uh, uh, Danny, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I think they talked about how the the homebrew scene is kind of in a different place. And I think maybe it's I I, I don't know. Like in your experience in the the UK homebrew scene, is the temperature because one of the things I mean, you really can't talk a lot about yeast until you talk a lot about like fermentation temperature control first. Because yeah, yeah, honestly, it doesn't fucking matter how good your yeast is if you can't control the temperature. Yeah, if you throw in a temperature up there, it's um, it does, a redundant. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, do you feel like the brewers in your area are are like just throwing things in a basement and trying to hit like sixty eight seventy, or are there are there people who are really trying to make loggers or do well, things with I mean, fermentation temperature control? There, there are sort of two two kind of distinctions. Either you're making a lager and you try to brew it cold, right. or you're not, and then you know it doesn't really matter. In fact, when, when I first started uh, brewing, I got a, I was told to get a fish tank heater. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I tried to keep my beer warm regardless of, of what it was, you know. So I tried to keep it at a nice temperature to keep it ticking over, you know, keep the yeast kind of happy, I guess. Okay, uh, like with how high? With complete disregard for any flavors. Um, but so, so yeah, so that's kind of like um, that was the wisdom I got given anyway when I started. So nobody has ever told me to to keep it cool, you know. Oh wow, because I mean, a lot of the yeast, like if you buy imperial yeast, they're recommending that you keep. Uh, uh, hold on, that you keep that. We're doing math to figure we're, out we're Celsius math. right now. Yeah, that's... I, <laughs> I, I did get a. Uh, <laughs> I got a little chart, but I've I've lost it now because of the Skype. Uh, that's okay. So, um, so like. If you're brewing an ale here with a with a, an imperial yeast, a lot of times they're gonna recommend you keep it like around 18 degrees Celsius. Yeah, 18.3. Um, repeating. Shut up, Jason. <laughs> if you can keep it at 18.3, then I think that you should. Yeah, that's right. So uh, hold on. So what's the in the top end would be like? Oh, 21. 21 degrees Celsius. So, so actually, yeah. that's a fun question. So, United States uh, room temperature is just basically agreed upon to be seventy degrees. Like seventy degrees Fahrenheit is room temperature. I've never. What is room temperature like? What do you guys call room temperature in the? That's twenty one degrees Celsius. Yeah. Do you guys yeah, have like see, a set I'm agreed a, upon room temperature? I'm a chemist, so so sort of standard temperature would be twenty five degrees. But I think that room temperature is yeah twenty one. I guess twenty one. So twenty five is seventy seven degrees Fahrenheit. Why is what? what What's what? where I keep my house? Well, um, what is this? Yeah, what, what is it standard I, I for? Sorry, I'm, I have to. That's right. What what is it standard for? I don't I understand. 
it's I think it's just sort of standard temperature and pressure. So if you're doing an experiment uh, in a lab, you'll generally do it at 25 degrees. Um, just just because most of the stuff is done at 25 degrees, so okay. it's comparable. So uh, yes, it's more just like a, an agreed upon standard uh, among people using the correct measuring scale. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, but I I guess it's it's if it's slightly warmer than what room temperature usually is, then I guess you can make sure that you just heat your stuff up slightly to get to it. Right. So. Uh, so when you were started brewing beer, you were you were trying to keep your fermentation around twenty above twenty one. I presume if you yeah, had a heater, yeah, wow, yeah, above twenty one, yeah. Um, but I probably wasn't making that good stuff at the time, so it probably didn't. I probably didn't notice the like the off flavors and things like that um, that were coming from it, just because it probably wasn't the best beer I was making anyway. Right. Um, sure. But yeah, I was I was trying to keep it warm rather than cold. Because I didn't want my yeast to to slow down and die, you know that was yeah. the that was the conventional wisdom by then. All right, and I think I, given that the temperature was controlled, even if it was off, it was consistent. Yeah, and there's yeah, something so, to be yeah. said for that. Well, and I think I, I think if you were making browns and porters and things like that, they're a little more tolerant anyway. Yeah, cheers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll take a taste. Cheers, guys. I've actually, this is my first time. I've had the anchor steam before, um, and I don't know why I removed my pop filter, but. <laughs> like anchor so anchors uh are we are we did we start the episode no or? let's do that right now let's start the episode and then we'll get into it let's pretend like we already okay. did let's start the episode now and then like cut in music hello listeners at home ah uh, welcome to plato's gravity a homebrew podcast this is aaron and we're 15 minutes into the show right now yay jason has basically wanted to do this since we started i'm gonna let him do it this time because he's having a rough day uh today i'm fine i'm having a beer it's good today we're excited to welcome jim scottson on the show jim runs a homebrewing blog and youtube channel he has loads of great videos and articles uh at drtankenstein.com that's t-a-n-k-n stein s-t-e-i-n.com uh, some of his material includes a homebrewing challenge series where he brews a one-gallon batch of beer uh, with no traditional brewing equipment for 10 pounds or, for most of our listeners, I believe, 13 U.S. dollars. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Cheers. fantastic. We're pumped to have you. So uh, before we get into the, the uh, idea of brewing a, uh, a batch of beer with only $10 and no traditional homebrewing equipment, which is fascinating to me, let's start the show the way we start every show. <laughs> which isn't with a 15-minute interlude to the introduction. <laughs> um, so we're drinking together an Anchor Porter. Can you talk about why you chose this beer for the show? I chose this beer because this was one of the first America beers from America that I had. Um, okay. So I figured, you know, that just immediately came to mind. Um, also, I noticed you guys hadn't had many dark beers on, so right. I thought I would break with tradition and... See what you guys thought of my my porter choice. I really appreciate it. Finally having a a porter on. We don't uh, we don't get to we don't get to pick the beers around here, so it's nice to drink a little something different. Although honestly, I don't know if we did. I don't know that we would have necessarily picked the anchor porter. Because um, in my in my mind, when I think anchor brewery, I think about the steam beer, which I I, I was mumbling. Uh, about earlier uh anchor's an interesting brewery because it's right correct me if i'm wrong it's the oldest it's the oldest brewery in the united states yeah yeah. oldest like still operating or something like that because isn't there like doesn't yingling also have something about being the oldest you know that's actually a a good point but i I know that anchor was was around definitely pre-prohibition and they they did the california steam beer which was this new type of beer um 
which is pretty well, entertaining. They, almost, they invented that, right? They, yeah, they, the steam yeah. beers, like their 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 invention. Yeah, which actually, like, you can't. I didn't I didn't realize this until I was at a brewery and someone had uh, a beer on on their draft list called a California Common, and I was like, well, "What does that mean?" Yeah. And it's just a steam beer because steam is actually owned by Trademark. Anchor. Yeah. Um, so fun fact: if you ever see a California Common. Um, yeah, but so the the porter, um, it's good. Yeah, it's all right. I've, I actually haven't had it for a little while, but it's um, it's holding up. Yeah, it's. I don't. I think I get confused about um, the difference between porters and stouts. Honestly, so w- if you guys want to fill me the pleb in on what I would be <laughs> yeah. looking for between the I two. Guess, um, Porters, uh, I mean, stouts are generally considered to be a little bit drier, maybe uh, lower in um, kind of diastole and things like that. Okay. Is that? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think a stout typically uh, is going to have a little higher alcohol content, so a little higher OG um, hmm. than than a porter. Uh, at least if you look at like the, I'm more familiar with the American porter stuff. I was actually just reading an article that you had on on the original porter. I was surprised to see that that uh, in the old day the OG was around 1070, which is pretty high for a porter that you'd brew today. Yeah, they they really started off strong, didn't they, with the with the porter, and then I guess over the years it just um, you know quieted down a little bit. Is is do we know is the story like so the story that I was always told about where the name Porter came from, uh, how it was just a beer that was served at the docks for unruly sailors. Is, is that is that correct or incorrect? To the best of my knowledge, uh, yes, that that's kind of the way it came about. It was okay. it was served. Um, it became kind of the preferred way of serving beer, just because they used to. Almost back in the day, they would almost like blend beers. Depending on how much money you had, they would give you a certain amount of fresh beer, a certain amount of aged beer, a certain amount of you know mm-hmm. medium aged beer. Uh, but when the porter came along, the brewery sort of took that out of the hands of the server, and they would do all that at the brewery. So it would arrive at the pub, and you would literally just buy a pint of porter. Um, so people preferred to do it that way, and that's how it became so uh, so popular. Interesting. Like I kind of wonder. Uh, like, I wonder what the flavor profile of those mixed beers would have been. I mean, I'm assuming it's not great, but then I'm also like, what if there were particular waiters and waitresses who were really good at it or like bartenders who, uh, nowadays would make a real awesome cocktail. What if there were some bars you would go to and they would have the best shitty mixed beer that you could buy? (laughs) Yeah. We can do the best with one year old porter. You'll get around here. That's that's for sure. But yeah, I, th- I think that's that's how you kind of uh, would distinguish yourself as a good uh, publican is if you blended the beer correctly. I, I suppose. Oh yeah. You know, you, That'd be a nightmare today. Can you imagine going into like a a, a bar that wasn't craft centric and being like, I've got a I've got a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> or, a, or a pound, if you will. What beer can you give me? And then they, they like, the publicans are like, yes, you know what I shall do. I shall make you a Coors Light and a Miller Light blend, and it shall be magical. What was that accent? Where can let's we not place, an accent. Let's, that's let's just, place this accent that just happened right here? Crazy publican. That's that's <laughs> that's Miller Light, Coors Light blending publican. There's, he's oh, he's from a nondescript location. Oh, that, well, you know what? Honestly, though, I feel like no matter the age, if you're blending something like a Coors Miller, something like that if you're blending those together it kind of 
just works. We, we like, played a game in college called Sink the Bismarck. You, guys, <laughs> you know about Sink the Bismarck? Have you ever heard of this game? No, I, I've heard of the beer that Brewdog did a while ago called Sink the Bismarck. Uh, oh, oh wow. Did Brewdog do Sink? Uh, I have to look into that. So the the game Sink the Bismarck is you get a bunch of guys and a keg and they, they pour their beer and they have a bucket of beer in the center of the table. And the center of the table, there's a, you float a glass in the beer and then you, you take turns filling the glass around the circle and you basically can just stop whenever you want. You pour as much. You pour as much beer into the glass as you want, and the person yeah. who makes the glass go under the under the beer level, like whoever sinks the the Bismarck, so to speak, has to yeah. take the glass out of the center and chug it. Yeah, and it's it, you're not required necessarily. It's house rules, right? Um, I don't know it's a, that it's an officially sanctioned game anywhere. It might be. Uh, I believe it, at, at Indiana University Bloomington is a <laughs> sanctioned game. I don't. I don't think that you're required to necessarily be filling the glass with other beer. So, like, people could be pouring their mixed drinks, their, their whiskey, their <laughs> vodka. We have a game over here. It's a it's a it's a card game where you put a pint glass in the middle, and then around the pint glass you put uh, the full deck of cards, and you you know you take turns drawing a card. Each each card has a a, almost like a power, I guess. So yeah. Maybe you'll draw the toilet card, which means that you can go to the toilet and nobody else can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you get a king, you have to put whatever you're drinking, you have to fill the pint glass a third full, and then the fourth king uh, downs it. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get... You, you might get backlash from that because... Um, Anytime you suggest playing this game at any party, everybody always has their own set of rules. So oh, I apologize right. if people don't play with the toilet card or uh, <laughs> if it's an eight instead of a king where you have to fill the beer up. I uh, I actually greatly approve of anyone not having a specific toilet card. Let people go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is my... That usually works out the best at parties <laughs> if you let people go to the bathroom whenever they want. It's either that or, like, at the very least, open up the side of the sink that has the garbage disposal. Please, dear God, have a garbage disposal. Jason, this, okay, you know, we've really, we're now shitting in the garbage disposal. So why don't we go back to, uh, <laughs> why don't we go back to, to Jim's amazing feat of brewing an all green batch of beer. Uh, and I said one gallon before. What is it? I mean, it wasn't, you didn't measure it in gallons. What the hell was it? Was, uh, how many liters yeah, of beer did you make? They're called Imperial units. They still, they exist in yeah, the UK. We we have a, we have an imperial we have an imperial gallon which I think is four and a half liters what? and the US gallon which is three point nine liters. God, why do we fuck everything up? That's the math is so much better. Ah, it's fine. Yeah, I wish we could switch, but we don't. We don't. A lot of a lot of pro brewers here switch. But anyway, so you brewed uh, uh, three liters, three and a half liters of beer. Four and a half liters of beer. Yeah. Uh, all grain, and I literally um, showed up that morning because we we have like a. Literally, you know, a list of challenges. I picked that one out of the hat. Obviously, I knew that it was in there, so I I thought about it before. Uh, like, right, okay, we, I've got a, a day to, to do this. Let's let's go do it. So, uh, hit the brew shop. Bought way too many hops. Uh, just enough grain. Uh, a plastic bottle to ferment it in, like a, a gallon plastic yeah. bottle to ferment it in. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. The, the, the thing that, that was the real kicker, I mean, that the ingredients was, you know, you can definitely buy the ingredients. The, the real struggle was um, trying to just use conventional equipment that you've got in the kitchen. I mean, the, the, just the, the space inside the pans was just super, you know, super difficult to, 
to figure out. So aside from a brew pot, which seems pretty obvious, what, what piece of brewing equipment did you miss the most? Uh, thermometer, probably. Thermometer? Oh, that's right. Yeah, fair I enough. I didn't even think about the fact that... Jesus. How did you... How, so if you didn't have a thermometer, how did you... How, how, like, how did you judge your mash temperature? I... I'm I'm not an engineer by any stretch, um, but I just sort of um, assumed that boiling water was 100 degrees and that cold water was you know 20 degrees, and sort of did some maths that made sense to me at the time and uh, assumed that it would make you know roughly you know, 65 degrees or whatever it is in what, 100. What, what's mash temperature in Fahrenheit? What, what, uh, well, I mean, if you're mashing, you I mean, we're, we're, like we're, we're usually mashing between 150 and 160 degrees. So 65. 65, yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, I just assumed that. Um, I, I did want to check it, but uh, my uh, my video partner suggested that would be cheating because I might be tempted to, uh, you know, play with it. Oh, right, right. So how did the beer turn out? I don't, I don't think on the episode you let us know. No, okay. I didn't. Uh, I didn't finish the episode with that. So, at the end, I sort of I, I wrap it up by you know counting up the the cost of everything and saying that you know back to our comment previously about yeast. Uh, I had to use wine yeast. Sure. Um, oh, because was it cheaper? Because just... it was cheap. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the beer looked great. It, it fermented out uh, fairly nicely. You know, um, it, it was super super clear. Uh, but it just did not taste like beer at all. It just, there was no character to it. Mm. Um, and it, it's pretty remarkable how little it tasted like beer, if I'm honest. It, it, was, it was really quite strange. I've made that beer before. So do you feel like, you feel like for, for, for 15 pounds and some better yeast, you might have been able to pull off something uh, that tastes a little more like beer? Yeah, there you go. That, yeah, that, that was the, um, that was kind of the, the Jerry's final thoughts kind of thing on that one was, you know, just don't spend ten pounds. Spend fifteen pounds if you're gonna if you're on a budget. Buy a thermometer. Buy some yeast. Buy an airlock because I used used a, bu- a, a balloon on top of the um, on top <laughs> that, of the ball. That was really fun. <laughs> Which, like yeah. that's that's a that's a fairly well. It's not um it's not super. It's mostly common with like alcoholics. But I think we've talked about making hobo wine before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. That's probably the setup you would uh, you would want then in, in that case. <laughs> so if you're an alcoholic, first see help, please. Yeah. But secondly, then see like my video on ten pound all grain bin. Yeah. No, please don't do that. Well, no, don't right. do that. Seek help. But if you're an artisanal alcoholic, if you're a functioning artisanal, artisanally minded alcoholic, ten pounds, get a balloon, maybe a condom, depending on the bottle, and it's more funny that way to tell people is about it. Is it. a condom cheaper than a balloon? I don't. No, hundred no. percent not. No, I wouldn't imagine so. I would be yeah. a really weird like I'm trying to think of the kind of balloon that would be more worth money. Ugh, off topic, anyway. So, so you do this this ten pound video. What, what I kind of like to know is because I think any time that you're forced to to re envision something that you already do really well, you've been brewing uh, for for quite some time. You had to do this brew day in ten pounds or thirteen dollars. So, like, is there anything you learned from that experience that kind of changed the way you brew on a regular basis? I guess I, I started to um, probably because I, I used in that a really crappy sieve 
You know, it was just sure. a, a kitchen sieve. Mm. Um, I used to be really meticulous with uh, with sparging and recirculating and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you saw that actually not a lot of grain comes through, even even a rubbish sieve, um, right. I guess maybe I'd become more relaxed about um, sparging, lottering, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but I mean, to blame that on the ten pound would probably be generous, uh, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's something God, worth thinking of. All right, it's amazing. <laughs> Where? It, well, that was the thing when you were talking about like get a get a thermometer. The fact that you made anything that had alcohol in it, because like I use a thermometer when I bash, and I still fuck it up. Yeah. Well, you guys uh, brew in a bag, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. How how do you how's um how do you find regulating the mash temperature with that? It's a um, royal pain it, in the impossible. ass. Impossible. Uh, it uh, you know, most of the time. You'll try and hit a temperature higher than what you want. Not super, uh, not a lot higher. There, there. Well, we've done it a couple ways. And the way that I'm talking about, you'll fire it. You'll get it higher than the temperature you want. You'll let it coast down to below the temperature you want. And then you'll refire right. it back up to, you'll like lift the bag off the bottom of the kettle and yeah, refire that's, that's it. it yeah. um, which, is, which is garbage. It's worked for us before, but... I feel like the, the, our money zone, we, we've tried a lot of different things. Like I, I honestly, I tried to do, I did a, an experiment, uh, with a beer one time where I, I wanted to see like what kind of malt profile you would get and what kind of dryness would you get if you just mashed in so that once you mashed in and after the water cooled because of the grain, you started at 161 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like 72 degrees Celsius. And you then did that ju- math on the fly, ladies and gentlemen. And then just let it drop to 150 basically throughout. Because we lose, like, we would use about lose about 10 degrees over the course of a, a, a an 80 or 90 minute match, which is what I try to do with yeah. a bag. So that'd go down to like 65 degrees Celsius or 150 degrees, and see mm-hmm. what happened. Um, and that that actually works okay if you're looking for a beer that's going to be. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be kind of right in the middle. It's not going to be too dry. It's not going to be too malty, but if you want to dial it in, what we've had to do is try to f- pick like a five degree, f- uh, a five degree window. And like Jason said, we started, you know, above our central point, let it drop to about five degrees, let it drop about five degrees and then raise it back up by firing it. It is a pain in the neck. We should buy a pump. And to a certain extent, I do wonder if like the varying temperatures throughout the mash, like I wonder what that does chemically. Like, does that change the catalyzation of the uh, the breakdown of the sugar, uh, the starch into sugar? Well, you can't. But each enzyme kind of has its own range. Anyway, it's an optimal range. Anyway, um, so the if, if you're mashing in at sixty five, you're kind of coming in just under the optimum for um, alpha amylase and just above the optimum for beta and limit dextrinase. Um, so I, I guess you kind of maybe just swapping. Uh, if, you, if you can stick within the... Well, sorry, I, I can't do the Fahrenheit maths. If you can stick That's within... That's neither could Aaron. He, he did I have, I have a cat. Maybe. Yeah, six, 65 degrees is 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Aaron didn't do the math either. He's we. <laughs> yeah. So, hey man, as long as someone's got uh, as long as someone's got a map, we can uh, yeah. we can figure it out. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, it, it, it's 150 to 160 here, and then it's uh, you know 65 to 70 where you're at is kind of I mean, if that uh, seems right. Like the low end, like if you're you know 64, 65 degrees Celsius is gonna be is gonna be more of the 
the beta amylase and the alpha amylase is going to be more uh, i think i might have got that backwards but it's all right it's going to be a dry beer if you the lower the temperature and if you get it closer to 71 degrees celsius it's going to be a nice malty beer yeah that's yeah that's the the, the yeah um but also, also like i i always kind of think that enzymes are really really good at doing what they do um you can kill them of course sure but i i think that they're probably well trained enough by now to to at least withstand certain uh, temperature fluctuations so you know if, if you stay within that five degree window i'm sh- i'm sure that even if it's not the optimal temperature that they decided in the lab that was the optimum it's probably still going to make beer right right well i yeah. i think for us like what I I've kind of been comfortable with because I try to brew a lot of beer. Like when you did the 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 all grain batch with ten pounds, that kind of spoke to me. I, obviously, I spent a fair amount more than ten pounds on my brewing setup, but I try to brew over beer with t- over with, time with the with a modest setup. You know, I don't have a pump. I don't do recirculating. What I for me. I probably can't brew the same beer exactly the same twice in a row because I lack some of the temperature control to do that, but I can brew good beer pretty regularly. Like you're not going to, if you, if your mash goes from 160 degrees Fahrenheit to 150 degrees Fahrenheit, you're, you're just going to have sugar there and that sugar is going to turn into beer and it's going to be good. Well, you could do, um, I, I I have a sneaky suspicion Hmm. and I, I don't know if this is true, but uh, the, the craft beer industry in the north of England, particularly, is is pretty good uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, you get some pretty amazing beers, but they all seem to be special edition beers. Oh. You know, that you you'll you'll never get um, you know a, 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 a hazy IPA from. Uh, I'm not, I, I don't want to throw any beer, uh, breweries under the bus here, but you'll never get. No, feel free. A hazy IPA. From, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's say uh, Cloudwater is a brewery from Manchester. They do absolutely amazing beers. Hmm. But if you try to get the same beer all year round, it's just not going to happen. The, you'll get it once, maybe twice. Right. They 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 brew something else. And I I don't know if that is because they can't make it twice. Maybe they just maybe they're just more creative than me. I mean, I know it's a model that other breweries like uh, Deviant, the one that or Deviate. I always say Deviant because Deviate I always I always think of myself and I'm a Deviant. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but Deviate uh, is everyone that I've talked to about that brewery, and I still have not been. No matter how many good things I hear, everyone says they just make a bunch of. Uh, they don't make very many house beers. A lot of them are one off. Uh, not not even seasonals. You just they make them one time because they had an idea, and it turns out really good. And then they just move on because they're excited to keep doing new things. Yeah, which is like on a small system like that. How big is um, seven barrels? Well, not 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 deviate, but um, the brewery you're talking about. How big? Oh, I have I really couldn't tell you if okay. I'm honest. Um, <clears throat> I, I imagine it's not far off the seven barrel yeah. mark. Okay. Um, could be completely wrong, please. If somebody knows, uh, let me know because I don't yeah. want to go uh, lying about that. Um, but yeah, I imagine it's about the same capacity as that. Okay. Well, I, I think uh, what's interesting to me, like, and I think I've kind of changed my mind about like the whole brewing consistency deal. I used to be like, yeah, yeah, I feel like a brewery should be able to give me consistent beer. And if I go get beer X from Brewery Y, um, I want it to taste the same every time I get it. But at the end of the day, if you're making inconsistent beers, but they're good, you know. Mm-hmm. 
who am I, you know, maybe I shouldn't complain because really at, at the end of the day, what I love is to try all different kinds of beer and to kind of understand the different things you can do with beer. So I, I think consistent beer is good and inconsistent beer is good as long as the quality is still good is fine with me as well. Yeah. You could kind of, you could take the chemist's approach, which is if you can't repeat the experiment exactly, make sure you know exactly what you're changing. Mm, sure. So yeah. if you just try to brew the same beer again, but change purposefully change something then that purposeful change will have a bigger effect than the thing that you accidentally changed by um you know accident so i think what we'll do is we'll take a little break here when we come back from the break we'll talk a little about one of your most recent brew experiments where you basically just figured out how the hell to keep foam in your beer uh so we'll uh we'll talk a little bit about that uh right after we come back Welcome back to Plato's Gravity. As we uh, mentioned after the break, we're going to talk about uh, some brewing experiments, maybe uh, how Dr. Tankenstein, otherwise known as Jim, might have approached uh, some different brewing problems on his blog. You can see an article where he talks about uh, head retention. So can you talk about um, why specifically you chose that beer experiment and what you, uh, how that went for you? Yeah, I I just, um, I kind of, whenever I was making a recipe, I would always have uh, carapils in there. Sure. Just because someone once told me, you know, oh, you need some carapils if you want to get good foam, put that in there. Uh, so I just kind of thought, does this work or not? Mm-hmm. So I went and did a bit of reading and kind of the, the literature on that was sort of suggesting that maybe that wasn't the best thing to use after all. Sure. Uh, so I set up this experiment where I did kind of, what was it, six or seven kind of mini mashes. Okay. I just mashed mashed some some grain uh, in a very small amount of water, say three hundred mil. Um, okay. I don't know about as an ounces. Um, and uh, and yeah, and I I've, I mashed them, uh, you know, boiled boiled them in the microwave for a little time, uh, and then fermented them just unhopped. So it was literally just the grain in there, and I had basically it was almost entirely marisotta with a small amount of oats, wheat, uh, torrified wheat, um, and all, all kinds of other things Sure. that people would typically uh, add to their, their grist. And I just mm. I just went on Twitter and said, who adds, what do people add to their grist to get good foam? People responded, so I, I used all those. Um, yeah, and I, I guess uh, the thing that I found after doing almost like a, I guess, I don't know if you would call it a foam tower experiment. There are so many different ways that people measure head retention um, this was just one of them. I just kind of blended the beer up a little bit and timed to see which which beer, which head lasted the longest. Sure. Um, and the, the the real, I, mean, I guess I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit, the real amazing thing that I found was actually the best thing to add to your beer might be hops. Not even, oh, you know, okay. you, you might not even need to add um, these adjunct grains. I mean, they definitely helped. Uh, hops wasn't the, the hopped sample wasn't the strongest, but it definitely wasn't the least. Uh, Carapils was actually worse than the control. Oh, wow. Huh. Um, and if, if you look into the, the literature, there's there's a big, big paper on um, foam negatives from grains. And that kind of comes to the conclusion that uh, caramel malts and crystal malts have more foam negatives than most other grains. So even though they impart dextrins and things like that, which can promote uh, head retention they also have the the foam negatives as well they have more of those than any, anything else which adjunct was uh, other than hops 
which was not an adjunct. Which which adjunct did? And this is this or uh, okay? Do do oats help? In the, in the experiment, oats were the best. Okay, that's good because yeah, I just um, the last beer I made, I specifically added oats, and I'm like, oh man, I hope this works. And then everything else has gone wrong with that beer. It's gonna be fine, Jason. It'll be drinkable. Uh, it, well, it was supposed to be about a seven. It was supposed to end it um, end up probably about seven ABV, and it's ending up at about five and a half. Um, but what was the what was the malt that we used in that? Um, what was the malt that you used in your bacon yeah. beer? What I mean, you, you, I mean, I, it was your recipe. Uh, you had to use, you had to use, oh, you used, 50% you had to use Munich, Munich. You had to use 50% Munich malt and then you used, um, amber dry malt extract. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, I did think it was funny that, uh, just because of the way the competition ended up, my first competition beer was an extract beer. And Basically. I spent years oh. being like, oh my God, I can't wait till someday I'm going to brew all grain beer and it's going to be so cool. And then I just happened to, which was actually honestly was good because that's like hitting the easy button. Oh, I hear you need higher gravity. Oh man. Yeah. It, though the, um, I, I've only brewed one extract batch in the mm. last, you know, five years or whatever. And I only added the extract because I didn't have enough uh, grain lying around. Yeah, sure. it was it was the easiest brew I've ever done, but it was also the most expensive brew I've done in a hell of a long time. It was yeah. so so expensive, and it was supposed to be a free beer. You know, I wasn't. I was just kind of picking stuff up and uh, throwing it in. Well, and that's like the in thing. Fact, that was a, this this was um, after I did the foam experiment. All the grain that I had left over they were the adjuncts. <laughs> I just threw all those in a bucket and threw some extract in there as well and, and, and brewed that out. And that's why I used the extract. So the free beer turned into the most expensive one I've ever made. What? You called that the kitchen sink IPA, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just threw everything at it. So that won a competition. Yeah. Yeah. That, that came, it came third in a, in a local competition. Uh, I, I literally entered it for a laugh. I just, it, we were allowed uh, three entries, and I I had pretty good feeling about two of them, and the other one was the kitchen sink one. So I was like, okay, cool, I'll I'll put that in as well. It took third. So, uh, what what's so yeah, what were the, the other two? <laughs> what were the other two? Yeah. Sorry. What were the other two beers you entered? Uh, one was my bandwagon IPA that took first. Oh, so you and, just um, destroyed the competition? I killed it. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I I was the competition that day. Nice. Oh, ooh, nice. That's uh, that that's well done. So I, I think that kind of segues nice into. So, I mean, I feel like. But what was the other one? Don't come on. Oh, sorry. What was? We the, still have one more beer to go. I'm a. I have to. I'm a millennial. I need lists. Uh, the other one was uh, what I call Brown Two, which <laughs> is probably. Go on. <laughs> did, 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 I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giggling. Brown two. Did it take second place? <laughs> was it the number two? Was was Brown two number two? Well, guys, I I know you how highly you think of me, but unfortunately, I didn't win first, second, and third. Oh, oh that's man. right. Imagine if I was just telling you about a competition I ran at my house. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, I won. Yeah. I won all the places that day. Yeah. Just, uh, Homebrew competitions in the United States are, are a huge deal. What's the is that typical over there? Like, if you enter a homebrew competition, is it like, oh, I care about this, I, I have a blog, I know what the hell I'm doing, so I'm going to dominate? Or are there some other big players? Um, well, I th- 
See, brewing in the UK is a is a weird one. Homebrewing in the UK, sorry, is a, is a weird one because um, it's still sort of um, associated with you know old guys trying to escape from their wives on a Sunday afternoon, you know, trying to get pissed in the in the garden shed. Uh, so it, it's kind of it's coming around, but it's sure. coming around slowly. So this um, this competition I entered was the the only one I've ever even really seen. There's, there's a huge national one each year that's run by um, a, a brewery that's quite close by. But other than that, I, I don't know of any other regular um, competitions, which is kind of weird because it's not a very big country and we definitely like beer. Right. So I, I've heard, I've heard more things. Of I mean, I think, I think Danny Linehan, who was on episode four, has talked lots about figuring out ways to monetize his beer hobby. And I think you might have mm-hmm. just... Uh, if Danny still listens, he should he should maybe just start a homebrew competition scene or an association or some shit like that because it seems like it's yeah, right I, for the picking. I would certainly um, be up for joining or joining in with that. that that's uh, I think we need something like that because it needs to. I think over here the this is my my pledge. Um, it needs to kind of escape the garden shed a little bit. You know that there sure. are people brewing who are taking a real lot of care over it. Mm. Um, but it just, it's just not taken off for some reason. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of weird. It, it seems like, you know, as a hobby thing, it, you know, pe- people would be trying to uh, monetize it, but, but they're not. So I imagine, I imagine that, that you, uh, like other, other folks, uh, might've looked and seen like brewing in the United States, home brewing at least, like it's a golden age, the amount of equipment mm-hmm. that we have here that can be shipped to us locally that we can use, it's it's tremendous, not only equipment, but ingredients. So as you've kind of looked around, is there some product that you see widely available in the U S that you really covet if it would be widely available in the UK? Well, the way, if, if I listen to uh, a brewing podcast, the way that anyone talks about any kind of Blickman equipment. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if that was over here, I, my kitchen would be full of it. You know, you you can get it over here. You can get certain uh, Blickman items over here, but uh, the, the import tax and things like that mm. is just crazy high. Sure. And you end up paying twice as much for it. And, uh, and yeah, so, just, uh, so off the top of my head, I mean, yeah, well back to temperature control, maybe, sure. you know, if, if there were ways, you know, that you could control temperature easily. I mean, I have one of those ink bird things, yeah. Which, yeah. which kind of works, but to do that, you need a whole fridge, you know, you, you need a, a whole fridge or freezer to dedicate to that. And it's, it's kind of bulky. If you could get, um, if you could get one of those uh, brew jacket things, you know, it's almost like an immersion. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. You, you just dip into your beer. If I could have one of those, that'd be that'd be amazing. Yeah, and then I think the other the other kind of common thing here is, and it, it, again, this is pricey, um, but they have we have. I think Blickman might make some, uh, and if not, more beer does some. But they're the stainless steel conical fermenters that have the uh, yes. the, the they have glycol running through the bad boys. You're just talking so, about things yeah. that you covet now. Why do you Why are you taking this back to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, those are actually available to me, and I, they're just too much money for me to buy. So that's good. I got pretty lucky recently. Actually, I, I work in a I work in a lab, obviously, and we have a, we have a glycol chiller to you know chill things. Mm-hmm. But but the motor broke on it, so I quickly um, took it away from the lab because um, it was broken. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, I signed it out; it was fine. I didn't steal it. Yeah. Um, but it was just going on all of the internet to, to see if I can repair the the motor on that, and then that's uh, that should hopefully be a nice piece of uh, piece of equipment there. But you know, if I could have bought that, 
I'm, I'm lazy enough to have definitely just bought the thing working rather than trying to fix it myself. I would love like a glycolic. We have like our setup in the basement. Like we have a cooler and an ink bird. Uh, and setup. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is like um, I, I think you can even on the cheap you can get the like STC one thousand things, which are like the the basically the innards of the ink bird. And you can like if you have a little bit uh, of engineering background, you can set those bad boys up without spending you know thirty five or forty bucks or whatever that is in pounds uh, on one of <laughs> I those think it's guys. Safe pounds, to be honest. What's that? Sixty. No, uh, no I, I think it's the same in pounds. They, they cost about 40 quid over here. So. Oh, yeah, that's about the same. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you can get one for like 35 here. So, um, But you can get those STC 1000s, which are the, the basically the little electronic piece that does the temperature measurement for like 10, 15 bucks. Oh, uh, and you can, cool. Yeah, you can. Uh, but if you have the freezer, then that can work. And I think that's a huge, a huge component to, to what I'd like to do is I'd like to get a second freezer so I can, cause right now I can't lager a beer and have kegs at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm the same thing. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at a beer right now that I've, I've brewed and I, I made sure that I brewed 25 liters because I knew that I was going to lose about five liters to Troube. Hmm. I'm, I just want to have a fridge available so that I can put it in there and see if I can get that to compact a little bit more. But you know, the time, the time on the troop and stuff like that, you don't want to, um, you know, contaminate or make it taste weird or anything. Right. Yeah. Right. You want to get it off. Um, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people that have taken it so seriously that they've built cold rooms in their house. And that is, that is a commitment. <laughs> like we we're lucky in that we have a freezer. We can fit, um, we could fit a couple kegs in. We could fit a couple carboys in if we need to, but we can't do mm-hmm. both at the same time, and that's a that's annoying. But God damn it, we can do it, and that's nice. Yeah, I guess you got to choose then as well whether you want to well, whether you want it to be serving temperature or fermentation temperature. Or yeah. basically, yeah. we just to lager, I guess. And yeah, we, we just alternate back and forth. And we really just mostly it's there because we wanted to avoid bottling. But once we were once we realized, oh shit, now we can lager well then oh shit we should log or something and suddenly now we have to now we're bottling stuff anyway because we want to save the freezer to make our Oktoberfest. <laughs> yeah. right um so so i want to kind of go back i mean i feel like you you've done a, a really nice job with the uh some beautiful youtube videos the production quality is really high your blog is is, is good information um and you've been brewing for like you know for, for a while why did you start brewing uh, I, I don't know, to be honest, I was kind of, uh, I, I was sat on the couch one day, uh, just bored. I thought, uh, my, my friend had mentioned that he had a spare room in his house, so if he wanted to make wine, then okay. then we could. So I drink a lot of wine back then. Not to the problem level of a problem or anything. Um, and not I just not thought, the hobo I, wine levels. I, not the hobo wine. <laughs> there were no condoms involved. <laughs> no condoms involved. It was all consensual. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I just, I just kind of, my friend had this room where we could brew wine. I kind of figured I like beer better than wine, so I'm going to buy some beer equipment. Uh, and yeah, it all just went from there. I think I started with a, a batch of mead just because I had the stuff. You know, I had these um, carboys and, you know, I bought a big pan and stuff like that. And I didn't have any, I mean, I didn't really know how to brew. I knew what you needed to do it roughly. Sure. Uh, so I just got the stuff and then, all right, well, I know you make mead with honey, so let's try that. And uh, the whole thing went from there. Uh, yeah, and off you go. How was it? Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, I think I, I also um, didn't 
sort of, so didn't measure the volume of the, the carboy. I, I knew it was five liters, you know, I got a small one, and it was five liters. So I figured, well, if I fill it up to the neck, that'll be fine. That'll be five liters. So then it starts fermenting and it goes everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, the, yeah. you're trying to scrub the the crap out of the bubbler and things like that. And, and you learn something. Yeah. yeah. Like buy a new bubbler. Like buy a new bubbler. I will, I will I say the bubblers that I've seen, like on Twitter, we have an unreasonable high volume of, of people from the United Kingdom that follow us on Twitter. What I've learned is you guys have way better bubblers than we do. What do you mean better? They're, but they're, they're, there's like five little bulbous balls in there and we just have like two in ours. That's they're, two they're balls. More, two more, balls have always been enough for me. They're more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, look, there's three. The f- why are there three, so many? four, five, six, seven bulbs in there. That's so many. You changed it from ball to bulb. Uh, we're going to need you to send us a picture so we can put that in the <laughs> shows so people know what the hell we're talking about. All right. But I, w- I was thinking. Picture w- of my six balls. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking like when we were talking. So you're talking about making wine and we were talking earlier about beer and consistency. And yeah, like it is a thing in wine culture where consistency is actually like inconsistency is sort of applauded. Right. Where like you want different vintages to have different flavors based on the yeah, year. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that before. That's uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah. then also you get the other the other end of the the spectrum where you get you know if you get Australian wine or mm-hmm. I think uh, California wine as well. Like uh, oftentimes it'll just be a blend of stuff. Yeah, which so that so that it can be uh, you know so that you can ensure consistency or thereabouts. Which is is true that I do, like, honestly, I enjoy a good blended wine, but I think the idea, because we've rejected the idea of having a consistent beer, like most of what we want to get equipment-wise is based around the idea of getting consistency out of the beer, which is great if you make a beer that, like, you want to reproduce 100% every time, but if you're doing it just for fun and just to see, because as much as we can understand the science behind it, I don't. I don't exist in a laboratory setting. Aaron, do you exist in a laboratory setting? Oh, that, he that does. Might be, that might be how I began, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. But, but like, I guess I now I've just decided my goal is not necessarily consistency; it's drinkability, and that's my yeah. takeaway from life. So. so well, it's it's also like how how often do you do you guys brew? Uh, so we brew about. We started off with a commitment to brew four times a year, and mm. now we brew about ten times a year. Well, well I mean, if, if you're brewing ten times a year and you're trying to consistently make the same beer, you're just going to get bored of it, right? At yeah. The end of the day. Yeah, I mean, so, we actually we've only made one beer multiple times the dolce de leche porta that's the only one we've that's made more than once. yeah yeah so and there's only there's so many beers like so many styles we haven't even tried yet and it's it kind of sucks given that just i mean it is a lengthy process you have to set aside time for it so there are so many beers that we can try once and if we don't nail it well we have to move on there are other styles that we're super yeah. curious about trying yeah. for me wanting nicer shit is not about consistency as much as it is is about control uh, but what's interesting, you've been brewing for quite a while and, and you seem to, I think you brew a fair amount more than we do. So like when you're like, what's your approach to consistency? Is that a thing you care about? Uh, yeah, it is. It is if I'm making the same beer twice, uh, I've, I've only done that a, a few times again. Um, but I, I think that, 
yeah well like i said i've got the ink bed now and i've got the the fridge and stuff so i can control that now sure but in in the past i i just used to consistency um in my method was important but consistency in taste wasn't always that important so I, i would do what i mentioned earlier of purposefully changing something and then seeing how you know like uh, with my brown one, that sure. was all Marisotta base malt. Brown two was 50% Munich, 50% Marisotta. Okay. Uh, in the base malt, sorry, so it's 40-40, not 50-50. Um, so then rather than expecting the same beer, you're kind of looking for how it was, how it's the same and how it's different at the same time. Um, so that, that's how I used to approach it. Anyway, I still, still do approach it. Right, so if you... Uh, if you're decided, like, what's the next recipe that you have on tap, and what what are you, what's your uh, what are you thinking about, and what are the factors that you're bringing into creating your next recipe? Uh, so I I just brewed um uh what well, well it's gonna be a hazy IPA I think it might be a bit bitter to be a New England um but yeah I mean basically for me when I'm making a, a recipe I try to stick as close to the guidelines as I can. I know a, a, a lot of people, um, and I, I started out that way a little bit, um, when they're home brewing, it's because they want to make a crazy, super wacky beer. Sure. Uh, whereas for me, there are so many crazy, super wacky beers out there commercially now that I just kind of want to make a good, solid porter, a good, solid brown ale. Right. And I know that makes me sound super boring but oh. i think that if you can really nail the the fundamentals then then you can start experimenting however you like so what's the you, you mentioned that you're you're brewing a new england ipa what's the over here the not hazy, quite a new england ipa <laughs> not quite a new england yeah. ipa over here those hazy ipas have kind of taken over is that something that's happened big in britain or is that just something that you're kind of in tune to because you're you're in tune to the beer culture yeah so the the hazy ipa is becoming and ever present now, you know, um, it kind of started, uh, earlier on this year. I think we were a little bit later to the game than, than you guys were. Um, but they, they're not usually called new England IPAs. I think that fair enough. They're that, made in yeah, London because we don't, we don't have new England over here. So that no, kind of confuses people. Yeah. It'd be uh, pretty, it'd be pretty fun for you guys to like name some small part of yourself, new yourself. Yeah, new, yeah. <laughs> this is England. And then we're new England. England over here. Actually, it's just old England. It's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> old England IPA. Well, yeah. that's not very nice. <laughs> um, I think it's just an IPA. Yeah, yeah just an IPA. Uh, yeah. So, so the, yeah, the, the hazy stuff is coming over here. I must be honest, I, I'm i a real kind of eye roller when I hear adjectives at the beginning of beers. So when I was hearing like hazy IPA, I was like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Really? Haze? Come on. What's that doing? And then I had one really good example, and I was just a convert forever. I was like, okay, all right. So this is called my bandwagon IPA because it's like okay, I'm jumping on the bandwagon now. I'm nice. gonna, gonna have to make one. Is this is this yeah. the competition winning bandwagon or is this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, yeah, so I've, I've remade that. Nice. So you bought all those all those adjuncts again. I think you know as we <laughs> as we talk about hazy IPAs and lots of adjuncts, these things sort of think off the wall. And I think right now it's time for Jason to ask his off the wall question. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh... No, thank you. <laughs> how do you um i think so i think that i'm a year behind 
on this, but how do you feel about Noah Fielding being one of the hosts of the Great British Baking Show? Um, it's called the Great British Bake Off. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. I could. Uh. No, that's that. I think I think I think that you guys call it the Great British Baking Show we over here. Do. It's the Great British Bake Off. Yeah. I can never remember yeah. which one is which because I skipped the intro and I thought in my head I'm like, which am I doing the right one? Oh, I'm either gonna sound so cool or sound like an ass. And in reality I mostly sound like an ass anyway, so it's fine. Anyway. So, so at any rate, the Great British Bake Off, how do you feel about it? Um, <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll be honest, guys. Um I'll I'll open up to you here. I, I was I was worried. Um, initially, mm. but I, I think that Noel's done a really good job. Um, he's brought the right amount of wackiness to the role, and um, I think that going forward, he's going to do some really good things. He's somehow, and I I know him mostly from like the IT crowd, um, but somehow he just shows up and he's charming. And I initially <laughs> yes. I didn't I didn't want to like it. I'm like, no, you're not. No, no, you're not. And then he's just there, and he's so sweet, such a sweet man. I wonder why they thought that the American audience couldn't handle the term bake off. I yeah. don't know because we sometimes bake off. Like it's a thing that we we do as a as a culture is we challenge yeah. each other to in baking challenges. I mean honestly, bake I think off, what happened is it's some marketing agency trying to justify its own existence, but that's a whole nother podcast. Like I really feel like that's a, that's <laughs> a different took it out of the hands and said, no, 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 this is this this fine. We have to change the jobs. title. Elsewise they can't, we can't charge them a thousand dollars or hundreds of thousand dollars to, to, to give them in, insight and consulting. Uh, so I do have a listener question. We're getting close on, on time here. So, uh, this question is from right. Megan. Megan is a, uh, uh, best friend of my wife. She has listened to the show. My, my favorite compliment for Plato's gravity is, the show ever came from uh, Megan. She listened to the show basically out of obligation because she's my wife's friend. She doesn't drink beer. She does not like beer. She listened to the show, as I said, out of obligation. And then she woke up the next morning and we were actually staying with them. They live in Seattle. So we were staying with them on, on holiday. Um, I used holiday, not vacation, because you know, talking to Look you. Look at you. Thank yeah, you. yeah, that's good. Uh, we what were on, was it? we were on holiday. Oh shit! <laughs> I don't know. I, I I'm now onto milliliters and U.S. fluid ounces on my screen. I can't <laughs> I can't do it. Is um, so at any rate, we were in Seattle uh, on holiday, and she, the next day she got up and she said, "You know, I stayed up too late last night because." I tried to listen to your podcast and I thought it put me to sleep and I couldn't go to sleep listening to your podcast. And I thought, brilliant. You don't care shit about beer and you, it kept you awake. So, uh, but yeah, I I felt really, really what I need is for all the listeners who do brew beer to now share this podcast with people who don't, because apparently it's better (laughs) than sleeping podcasts. It's better than this Plato's gravity, better than sleep, better than sleep. So, uh, but she asked, um, why? And she's asking the question to me, but I'm actually going to pose it to I, that's you. That's the same I think, question I ask every morning too. I think is it's why. more. It's more interesting to pose the question to to Jim. Jim, why won't you brew a cider for the beer for the non beer lovers? Oh God, I thought you were going to ask about non alcoholic beers. That's a much worse question. <laughs> um, I don't know because cider you can go one of two ways, right? You can either go the way where you haul tons and tons of apples into your kitchen and press them and you know make sure you get all the juice out of them or you're gonna fall short and then you boil it up a little bit but you don't want to kill all the bacteria on it because cider is cider and it needs a little bit of funk in there 
and then leave it for four years. <laughs> or you buy, four years. Or you can buy cartons of apple juice and just ferment that. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not that interested in cider brewing. I, I, I just, I think it's kind of. I don't want to say plain. Maybe I don't understand it. You know, maybe I don't understand it. Well, um, I, I actually think so. So the surprise for Megan is I actually just yesterday pre-ordered two gallons of cider from our local homebrew shop, Great Fermentations. Oh, take that, Megan. Thank you, Great Fermentations. And they're actually getting the cider from uh, from an, an orchard, and they press the cider, and they treat it, and it's supposed to be especially, especially special for homebrewers. Um, so they, they're treating it, making sure the, sugar's espe- the sugar is especially fermentable. So I'm excited. But also, for me, it is a little bit plain, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this juice that I bought for $8 a gallon, and I pour it into Jesus. fermenter, I'm going to pop some yeast in there that I'm going to spend three bucks for. And then for $11, I'm going to have some cider about two and a half weeks later. And it just seems cheap. Yeah, There is like the, the, the artistry that comes with making a grain bill of figuring out the ratio of everything that's going to go in it to make the beer is either, like you said, it's just a giant goddamn nightmare to produce your own juice. Or yeah, yeah, so I, uh, my, the guy who um, who I record my videos with, who, who stands behind the camera, he makes cider every year, and he's he's just got I don't know twenty five apple trees or something like that. Yeah, and he stands there every year. He, he bought a wood chipper, he bought a, a a cider press, and it just looks like not very much fun to me anyway yeah megan the answer to your question is if i had to make cider by growing 25 apple trees that takes um, <laughs> that's the answer no, <laughs> i have, have 25 fucking apple trees i'm never gonna yeah, make sorry. the cider uh jim it's been a, a ton of fun to have you on the show we uh we're pushing up against our our time so we're gonna cut it off is give any parting shots for our listeners uh any uh any advice on brewing or anything that's kind of central to beer that you'd like to share uh advice on brewing just do it take care of the small things and, and don't worry too much about it just make beer that you enjoy and share it with everyone mm. Absolutely. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Plato's Gravity. If you have a question for the show, you can find us at Plato's Gravity on Twitter, Instagram, and on our Facebook page. You can also email us at podcast at Plato's If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. That's what the other podcasters say. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to hear more uh, from our guest, Jim, you can find him on Twitter at Dr. Tankenstein, on the web at drtankenstein.com, or on YouTube. You can check the shows for links to his content. In the meantime, grow yourself an orchard, brew Use some a condom, cider, and have some fun. <laughs> <laughs>